Hello, hello, hello. My name is April Malone, and I'm with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Brendan from Master Talk with me. Brendan is, uh, he started a YouTube channel, and he teaches entrepreneurs and executives how to be more confident on camera and speaking, public speaking. So take it away, Brendan. Tell us about yourself and what you do, who you help, and what you're here for. Of course. Thanks for having me, April. So yeah, my name is Brendan. I'm the founder of Master Talks, a YouTube channel I started to help the world master the art of communication and public speaking. How I got started was when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were, you know, playing football or soccer or some other sport that I'm clearly not equipped, as you can probably tell from looking at me. What I was doing instead is with the same competitive spirit, I would do presentations competitively. So suffice to say, in three years, presented 500 times, coached dozens of people on public speaking. By the time I joined Corporate Canada, similar to Corporate America, I just asked myself the following question, what can I do to make a difference in the world? And I noticed that a lot of the communication content on YouTube was pretty bad. So I started making videos in my mother's basement. One thing led to another, and here we are today. <laughs> okay. Did you actually mention what you were studying in school or just that you were doing these competitions? Oh, right. Yeah. So I studied uh, in accounting. So I worked at Pricewaterhouse at the beginning of my university degree. And then after that, I did complete something completely different with my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same here. Same here. I studied music and art, and here we are. Um, oh, wow. Did you have uh, a, like a strong interest in communications? Did you like take extra speech classes or anything like that back in school? It was actually the opposite. I hated communication my whole life. And the reason is because uh, I grew up in a city called Montreal up in Canada, as you're probably familiar with. And you are there and now. For those who, uh, yeah, I am there now, born and raised. I don't plan on leaving it so soon. It's too nice here. But the, the idea that not many people know about is Montreal is one of the few cities in the world where most people who live in the city speak either two or three languages. And the reason is because French is a required language in the city. So my parents looked at me and they said, well, Brendan, you don't know how to speak French. So we have to put you in a French education system. So not only was I uncomfortable with presentations, like most of us listening, I had to present in a language I didn't even know. Oh boy. So public school is definitely something I didn't like and that I learned later. Wow. So how old were you? Okay, so you were raised in a family that wasn't French-speaking, so you had to take French classes in school. Yeah, it, like actually the whole education system was in French. Oh my goodness. So like, so everyone was – obviously, I'm super grateful for that today. Like I'm trilingual, which means I speak three languages to those who are listening. But the, but the idea is the process was not too fun. You know, you're standing up there in grade one oh. and you're just like, you know, I'm going, uh – Bonjour, and you figure out the rest. <laughs> oh, man. Well, the yeah. rest is history. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and chat a little bit about some of your journey. We, um, So just for the listeners, Brandon and I don't actually know each other in person. I actually like to talk about how we know each other. We found each other through a podcasting connection system called Matchmaker FM. <laughs> it sounds like a dating website. I'm yeah, almost wonderful. embarrassed to say the name of it, but it's actually a really useful tool. And I'm really thankful that you reached out. So thank you. Of course. Uh, so you you graduated and then? Yeah, so I graduated. And then after that, you know, I started working at IBM as a consultant there. And I still do to this day. And I, and I really love working there. But I think what I noticed with my life was I was achieving everything I wanted in terms of financial goals. You know, if I get this job, I'll make this money. And then I started making this money. Then I just realized, wait, is that all I'm going to do with my life? Just maximize the next dollar. But then over time, I just said, hey, maybe there's something more that I could do with my life. Maybe there's something more that I can contribute. So I started Master Talk probably four months before I started working at the firm. And I never thought much of it. I always honestly thought Master Talk was a stupid idea for probably the first six or seven wait, months. Wait, this was your idea? Master Talk? Uh huh. The YouTube channel? It was. It's like a mix. So. What happened was in my last semester of university, all of the students that I coached in that competition program for the past three years kept asking me the same question that I never had an answer to. And the question was, how did you learn how to speak? Hmm. And I just went, well, I don't know. I kind of just taught my, I obviously didn't have money for a speech coach. I was just like, oh, I don't know. I just figured it out. But so many people started asking me this question and I kind of just wondered, I mean, why do they keep asking me this? What, what is out there? 
so out of curiosity, because I didn't, I didn't have anything better to do with my life, I started watching a lot of YouTube videos on communication after four years of never watching them and practicing on my own. And the results were horrifying. Like the, every video was just terrible. We could have a whole podcast about that, but the <laughs> summary is just, they didn't know what they were talking about or they were way too old. So they couldn't uh, tailor their message to someone who's like 16, mm-hmm. someone in high school and no one was catering to that audience either. So I saw a lot of holes in the industry, basically. So you figured out speaking and you were coaching people and then you wanted to go watch and see how people were learning. And so that's when you started to watch the YouTube channels? Correct. Wow. So I'm I'm almost 100% self-taught. And by almost, what I mean by that is not that I took a special program. The main reason I got better, similar to being on a professional sports team, is when you're around really high performers of that specific skill, you want to get better. Mm-hmm. right? So let's say you, let's say you're surrounding, you're friends with the top five podcasters in the world. You would be like, okay, well, I got to step up my game, mm-hmm. right? Because... You'd be like, Brendan, put a suit on for next time. I'd have time. to get you know, rid of my wrinkly map background. <laughs> <laughs> it's like discontinued, right? So same thing, same rule applied for case competitions. So even if most of the world doesn't care about presentations, which has some logic to it, I guess, in our specific community, think of it like a subculture within a subculture, our whole life was presentations. So like dinners, lunches, it wasn't like, Hey, let's watch the football game. I didn't I didn't care about football. We were watching about we were watching the presentation that the University of Florida gave yesterday and we're taking notes on it to see how we can beat them wow. for next time. Look, it's it was nuts. Living yeah. and breathing it, huh? Yeah. I loved it. Really enjoyed it. Wow. Okay, so you are working from home now? That's correct. Especially now. <laughs> yes, yes. So um what does a typical week look like for you? Like how do you break up your time? Yeah, for sure. So for me, it's a bit peculiar because I separate a lot of my time between the business and the work, like my day job. So most of my days, depending on on what's happening, I'm probably working nine to eight, nine to seven, sometimes nine to five. And then after that, I'm spending time on podcasts. I'm making YouTube content. I'm focusing on master talk. And then, of course, I leave an hour or two at the end of the day or during the day, in this case, with family. <laughs> yeah, um, we uh, we have a very late podcast for you tonight. Um, this this <laughs> is like midnight, I think, for you. <laughs> it's fine. I'm used to this. Yeah, I, I also w- work and sleep very strange hours, so I get it. Um, now, are you working your day job also from home right now? That's correct. Wow. So you're putting in some long, long hours. And uh, tell me about your office space. Where are you at? Yeah, for sure. So my office space is my mother's basement. Still, yeah. And, uh, still, yeah. I think if there's anything I've learned from from COVID that I think a lot of people, at least especially in my age range, like 20s, don't think too much about, is I think a lot of people move out of their parents' house too quickly. And especially now with COVID, especially people in New York now, you know, you leave for, for the life of the party. Now you're paying, what, $3,000 a month for, for a small space that you can't move out of so it's not uh so i'm glad i stayed home oh yeah i stayed home with my parents until well i was in the dorms for a couple of years but i was home every week and i have a very large family and so there were a lot of just responsibilities i guess you could say you know um i had i had a job back home and then i'd go off to the university during the week and i'd drive back and forth like 70 miles but i didn't officially move out of my parents house until i was like 24 but man there's nothing like free rent um, I think I did help out in some ways um, towards the yeah, end. Yeah, I, I pay the rent. Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> was um, helping cover a little bit, but um, but you know, we also they also were letting me use their cars for a lot of that time, so it was a pretty good arrangement, I guess. Um, so what about social life right now? <laughs> You're working some super long hours. Yeah, social life is not the only social life is right here. This is it, right? <laughs> um, well, I wanted to ask you if you're communicating with people, do you have like any in person clubs that you're part of now, or is it all like these podcasts and summits and things? You got it. All of it is is podcast is virtual. Pre pre COVID though, I would say a lot of my my stuff was in person events, but mm. always out of the city. Mm. So, for example, I was supposed to be in Amsterdam for a month this year. Things like that. So, so it's always about changing the the look. But I'm really happy. This, you know, it's always about seeing the opportunity. 
And I think the opportunity now is you can guest on a thousand shows without ever having to travel or take a flight. Is that your is that your goal for this year? A thousand shows? Hopefully, I was kind of joking with that number, but you know, tr you know, just maximize the time in better ways. Yeah. Okay. So I have seen your YouTube channel. I saw a couple of your shows, um, or a couple of your, I guess, episodes. Is that what you would call them on on podcasts? <laughs> or no? Is that what you call it on YouTube? I have no idea, to be honest. Let's let's just call them. You like? Let's call them episodes. It sounds, okay, sounds that works. nice to me. Um, you were sitting in this beautiful setting with like this fireplace behind you and on a I don't know what you were sitting on but it looked great so tell us um how how do you, how do you record your your uh YouTube channel show to look so good how do you I can't even talk so good right now no oh, it's all good I mean same here it's it's you know a lot of people they have me on they're like oh man the speech coach is on he's gonna I'm like be all judging nervous. me <laughs> As you probably tell, I kind of have hair in the back of my head, kind of just flicking there. So don't worry, I'm pretty casual, as you probably tell. But you're right in the sense that the appearance that I have right now is very different than the appearance that I give in my videos because I'm very suited up. Uh, my hair is cut. Everything is very professional. And the 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 one the one sentence explanation of those videos is my best friend Danny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if you don't know something, hire someone who does. So so I give him a, I pay him a lot of money to to execute my videos, to do all my editing. He even dress, he even picks out my suits. He, he does everything. Oh, wow. And ten. the only thing I do is I write the scripts and I bring them to life. Um, I have to ask you, do you use a teleprompter? Nope, I do not. Because you just have like that good eye contact. And I, I thought for sure he's got to be using a teleprompter. Yeah. I bought one. I haven't been able to use it yet. Um, my problem is that, like I mentioned, I'm in a closet. And so I've got, um, it's about maybe, I don't know, six feet this way and about maybe eight feet this way. Um, so these, these podcast episodes we record as a podcast as well as, um, the video version for YouTube. So if I'm <laughs> going like this and that, you can see, but maybe, yeah. So it's a small, um, it's a small walk-in closet that I'm sitting in and I don't really have a lot of space to set up a tripod behind my, you know, camera. Um, I did try to do that in my living room in front of my nice bookshelf and everything. And it looked nice. But um, as far as like having a family who's all home all of the time, it wasn't really conducive for like, you know, family life because they would all have to be like hunkered down in a bedroom being quiet upstairs while I'm trying to record. And um, because I was nervous, I was recording um, a three minute take like 80 times and I would delete every single one. So I've had to I actually decided that I do better with this interview style. Because I'm not going to just delete your interview because I messed up. I'm, you know, I'm comfortable talking with people. So let's talk a little bit about stage fright on camera um, and how that might relate to people who work from home. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do talk about that. So, so the idea with camera is I get it. You know, it's not easy. And I'm a good example of this. And if you don't believe me, watch my old videos. I leave them up there for a reason. I have to uh, so, hey guys, uh, today, uh, master, uh, master, <laughs> you know, is it, uh, it wasn't, uh, wasn't, uh, the person I am today anyways. So the key is we need to understand that camera has specific advantages that in-person workshops do not have. I never wanted to be a YouTuber. I just want to be a senior executive at a company, make a lot of money, have a great family and die. I had no other big ambitions. Until one of the people I was coaching came up to me and they said, Brendan, do you have time to coach the world on communication? And I said, well, no. And then he looked at me and he said, exactly. That's why you need to get on video because there's people that just can't buy your time. And even if they could, you couldn't coach all of them anyways. And that's when it hit me. We need to realize that as creators, as people who have ideas we're sharing, that's all of us, by the way that if we do not share our message on camera, we are doing a disservice to the people who cannot afford our services. Right? Wow. A great coach summarizes this best. Marketing is what changes the world. Coaching is great. I do coaching. You know, I, I make an impact on those who can afford me. But at the end of the day, you know, 40% of Americans don't even have $400 of savings. You know, just that's just an example. And just the world, a lot of people just can't afford the rates that I sh ha have now and with success with the business. Which So the question is, what am I going to do for them? Right. 
And the answer for all of us means sharing, democratizing all of our best knowledge, all of our best stuff for free. That's what it means to be a content creator. That's what it means to be an influencer. So if you're someone who's scared of camera right now, understand that everyone starts there, but also understand that if you get your video right one time, even if it takes a hundred times, if you get it right one time, you can share it forever. So how do you feel about, okay, so my problem was that I, I kept trying and trying and trying 80 times before I would finally be happy with that three minute take. But by that time I was like having all this self-talk and like self-hate, <laughs> like you're not any good at this. What do you think you're trying to do? You know, you can't even say three minutes without making a mistake. And at one point, I could just feel like all of that joy, you know, and like the hope that I had for what we're starting here just drain out of me. And then it doesn't come across as authentic anymore. So when you get, go again and again and again, you start to lose some of the like freshness. And so like I wanted to get it right because I knew a video is forever. But at the same time, when is imperfect okay? Right. So that's a great balancing question. There. So there's two parts to that. The first part, okay is if you do get it right, you can use it forever, right? And that's the benefit with a lot of my videos today. Yeah. After, But the other part of that that's more important is the only way to get to that level, the only way to get to that point is by reiterating multiple times. Because if you're keeping it to yourself and you're just trying it 30, 50 times, that's good, but you're never gonna be exceptional because you're never getting the feedback, even the people who give you hate comments, you're not <laughs> getting the feedback that you need to 10x your presentations. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you the best example. There's a video on my channel called Five Public Speaking Tips. Okay. But what people don't know is that the video that's up now currently that looks all nice and, you know, I got him in the suit shop. That's actually the second version of the video, not the first. Mm. The first one I did over there, literally in, in my basement. <laughs> Right in the other room, actually. But yeah, you got it in the basement with no lighting, no budget. And I sent it to a couple of teachers and they ripped it apart. They mm. were like, you suck. Uh, they were actually really hurt, hurtful, actually. Oh, anyway, no. They're like, oh, you should have used this example. And did it hurt? Absolutely. But man, was a good feedback. So I started writing all this stuff. So that a year later, you know, I made this video that was a hundred times better. And I was like, now what are you going to do? You can't say anything bad about this video now. Right. So did you send it I to them the again? No, I was too lazy. Was too <laughs> I don't want the pain again. I don't want the pain. But yeah, I think I think the bottom line is it is important to understand the impact that we can make with video. But we're not maximizing our potential if we're not sharing consistently. Because by not sharing consistently, we're not able to ramp up our camera skills at a level that allows us to share a message with millions of people, if that makes any sense. So for me, what made me great on camera was not the fact that I'm master talk, the communication guy, the guy who's done all these presentations in university. What made me great on camera is because I practiced 500 times last year. Not five times, not 50 times. I practiced 500 times. And I'm sure you get scared of that number. You're like, oh man, he did like 500 10 minute videos. No, no, no. All you have to do, go on your Instagram, go on Instagram stories, and just go like this. Hey, guys, here's a thought. See you tomorrow. That's it. I did that every day. That's 365 times a year. And the other 140 was the YouTube videos. That's how I practiced 500 times. Okay. If everyone did that, you'll be better. It's like you, April. How is your communication skills on a scale of 1 to 10 relative to where you started in episode 1 to where you are today in this episode? Well, I'm only on episode, I think this will be episode eight. Um, one thing that I'm learning is that I am, well, I'm transcribing my, uh, the transcript. I'm, I'm, I'm typing out all of the words that both of us say. And I do use some speech recognition technology to help me with that. But then I have to go through and listen and see. And I can hear myself saying, you know, um, like, so like 500 times in one episode. I The last episode that I just did was a solo episode. I was telling my own story. And as I went back through, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to be interviewing Brendan, the speech guy. And I just said, you know, about 50,000 times in 45 minutes. Um, and there I go. I say, um, again. And it's 
I think the awareness of that is going to be helpful for me, but it's going to take some practice to break that habit. Uh, I think where I started to get a little bit more confidence on camera is when I started teaching English as a second language, just to be comfortable seeing my face, you know, and talking and having a conversation and knowing this is being recorded um, and just getting comfortable with that. 40 hours of that for two years, I got comfortable on camera. Now I need to get comfortable with how I'm speaking. Right, absolutely. So I guess the question for you is, where do you think you'll be at episode 80? In a better episode place, 200. I hope. <laughs> it's, you know, 100% of the podcast. So this is not like a 97, not like 82. 100% of the podcast hosts that I know who have done more than 100 episodes, they'll always say that their 100th episode was 100 times better than the first episode. Awesome. Always. So anyways, the point that I'm driving with that, and, and you've, I guess, demonstrated that through your two years of English coaching through video, is that progression almost always leads to obsession. You start at the beginning, you're in your mother's basement, you're making some videos, you think it's a stupid idea, I'm talking about me right now, <laughs> and then a year later, now I think I can be, be the next Dale Carnegie. How, what happened in a year for me to say that? consistent, consistent practice. I saw the progression. I got obsessed. And now I write my content out three years in advance. Wow. Wow. That's, that's ambitious. Uh, do you ever think about perhaps publishing more often? I know you're doing once a week. Definitely not. No? And I'll explain why. Tell me. I'll explain why. Everyone's got their own style. But for me, especially in my niche, Public speaking videos is very hard to make, not because of the editing or the process or the suit shop that I go to, it's because of the content. There's only so much you can talk about in speech coaching, ums and ahs, silences. That's why podcasting is great because I can always just say the same thing over and over again. So, Brendan, tell me about virtual presentations. I'm sure you don't get this a lot. Yeah, I like it all the time. <laughs> every day. But sure. It's like every day. It's like every show. Not this one, though, which is interesting, but I'm happy to ask we'll get there. you, obviously. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. It's coming. <laughs> but the point that I'm driving is that that's why, uh, especially on YouTube, I'm a big believer of quality over quantity. So I really want to make sure that whenever I post, it's gold so that people watch it every week. So that's why my strategy has been – I'm actually going pretty crazy now since I'm in COVID mode – is I want to actually write out my next decade. So right now I'm writing 2023. So the goal is by the end of COVID, which I think will take maybe another year, I should have uh, my content until I'm 35, which is uh, 10 years of content. How much that's of that will batch – and how much of that will you batch and get done ahead of time? And then just I'm, – I'm actually debating that because I don't know. Like, uh, I, I guess I'm so mission-driven that there's a small fear that lingers on the back of my brain that I might die in my 20s, even if the chances of that happening are almost zero to none. I don't want to take the risk because there's nobody else in my age group who's sharing these videos right now at this level of quality. So uh, so I've been pretty obsessive with this. But the point is, for the audience, I know they think I'm deranged now. The, the point that I'm driving, you know, me and April are trying to drive here, is the worst thing that you can do is not start. Not for your own ego. Not for what you think about yourself, but for what you're doing onto others. I started Mass Truck when I was 22. And I started coaching CEOs and executives when I was 23. Who am I to coach them? Where did I come from? Why do they trust me with their transformation? The reason, two reasons. One is preparation. You know, I know a lot about the subject, right? And knowing your stuff is important. But the second thing that's more important is having a belief system. If Julia, 16 years old, is in a high school, wants to get better at communication, what resources does she have today? The answer is nothing. Her English teacher. So if I don't, <laughs> right, if I don't make videos, nobody else will. Mm -hmm. So I'm very mission-driven in that way. And that's what made me start Master Talk. Not because I, I could be famous, not because I'm great at camera. I sucked at camera and I still do in many ways. But the idea is it's for Julia. It's for people like her that need, I need resources to share their ideas with the world that only I can provide. So we are 
speaking to not only entrepreneurs and people who are trying to make like coaching videos and, you know, selling a product or something like that on YouTube or on a video, um, you know, behind a paywall. Um, but we are also just talking to employees. And so, you know, I hadn't asked you about virtual meetings yet, but how can you speak to both? Like how can just becoming more confident on camera or building your speaking skills, how do you think that will help people in their daily life now? Absolutely. So so let's take this from a, from a top to bottom. So top of the line is as follows. Realize that communications is a much bigger part of your life than you realize. Presentation skills is actually a very small component of communication. Truth of the matter is communication is everything. It's the tough conversations you have with your family. It's the great conversations you have with your family. It's the way that you get dinner with your kids or the friends that you like. It's the people that you negotiate business deals with. Communication is everything. And by understanding that, you'll realize that the better you get at it, it'll be better not just for you, but for your life and the people around you. That's why the question I always ask people, especially those who are really scared of communication, is the following. How would the world change if you were an incredible speaker? If you were an exceptional communicator, how would the world change? And most people go, uh, you know, like I would get promoted at work. No, there's a lot more to that. You would fight less with the people that you love because you'd actually understand what they're trying to say. You try to seek to understand them, communicate in a clearer way. It would be much easier to do a bunch of other stuff. You could travel to countries you have no clue what the language is and for some reason still understand what they're saying. That's what communication is about. If you can understand that, I think you'll be mastering a lot more than just communication. So are we talking about body language and understanding nuance and all of these things then too? Exactly. So, so think of it like this. And we don't even need to go into the details here. The idea is that as you become a master of one, you become a master of all. So what happened with me was I got really good at presentation skills. But because I only focused on that skill, I got better at everything else automatically. So my conversational skills improved. The way that I ran meetings improved, whether it was virtual or in person. The way that I did negotiations improved. And then when I focused on the next one, okay, let me just focus on conversations. Let me go meet a bunch of executives and put myself out of my comfort zone. I did that. Then my presentation skills improved. The way that I interacted with seven-year-olds improved. You know, like all of that stuff. So the key idea for people is that communication is a multiplier effect. If you get better on camera, you'll automatically get better in meetings. If you get better in meetings, you'll automatically get better on camera. And it creates this spiraling effect where you just become an overall amazing communicator. Wow. So closing a business deal and communicating with a kindergartner, how are they related? Oh, geez. So many, so many ways. Uh, I'll give an example. So uh, I'm very peculiar in my industry in the sense that I do have conversations with a lot of people who are much younger than me. My most successful client is actually six years old. And the reason is because I always want to keep a pulse on the moment in which at the, in the kid's life where they go public speaking is a bad thing. So for example, those discussions that most people aren't willing to have in my industry lead to insights that only I can take advantage of. So a simple example, going back to the six-year-old, my most successful client, it was one of my executives as kids. She was incredible. She had a professional mic on. She was singing songs. She was singing like the wheels on the bus go around. Really, like so much confidence. Why? I under I asked myself, why is it that she is such an incredible speaker? Like amazing. I'll send the video after. You'll be mind blown. It makes no sense. But her dad, terrible, absolutely terrible speaker. At least, at least before he met me. But it was the point is, why is that? And then I understood the perception of public speaking was completely different. The six-year-old saw public speech as a fun thing. Oh, Brendan's like yelling on his screen and he's he's like, uh, you know, jumping up and down. He's like, have a lot of fun. This is great. It's like uh, going to a park or something. Whereas the executive is like, oh, you know, Brendan, I got to get an ROI on this investment. I need to have a business deal and all that stuff. The stakes were high. So, right, exactly. So, So the way that this ties in is it helped me realize the most important lesson from, from speaking to her and coaching her 
the six-year-old, which was the following. It's following quote from a movie, actually. Yes, man. The world is a playground, but somewhere along the way, most of us tend to forget it. And I bring that insight from a seven-year-old, from a six-year-old, into my business negotiations. Because at the end of the day, if I feel that this negotiation isn't trying to, if the other person isn't trying to help me, I shouldn't even be doing the deal. Life is a playground. I should just go work with people that actually enjoy my company. So, so that's an example of how things that you really wouldn't expect, like my karaoke videos, my dancing videos, I have a bunch of weird stuff on my channel, tie into something that's actually very formal and professional. So the playfulness, I mean, I know a lot of people that feel, you know, physically ill from the idea of public speaking are always told that old, well, just pretend that the whole audience is naked. <laughs> I mean, really. Don't even get I know, no, 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 no. <laughs> but um, like, is that where you're going? Is like, it just, you just need to remember how to have fun with it. There's that. And there's the other part. Let, let's talk about the system itself. That might be useful for people. Why are we scared of public speaking anyways? You know, I've been on shows in a couple of places around the world, and we're all scared of public speaking. We don't know why. The answer is very simple. Think about it. 100% of all the presentations you've given, not like 80%, pretty much all of them, you never gave for fun. It was a chore. It was an obligation. It was a thing you needed to do. We don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, April, you want to get breakfast and present all day? <laughs> Nobody says that. Mm -hmm. Nobody does that. It's not a thing. We're sitting in high school together. It's more likely. Three things happen. We never get to pick the topic. And if we do, it's generally something we're not passionate about. Mm. Number two, students. Students don't care to listen to us. Not because they don't care about us. Your name is a month. Of course people like you, April. It's not the issue. The issue is that they're not listening to you because they're going 10 minutes after you. Oh. You're presenting. You think you're a bad speaker? Not true. It's because I'm biting my nails in that room going, oh, crap, I've got to talk about Egypt after They're thinking April's about themselves. Exactly. Number three, teachers. Teachers are very well-educated, very well-intentioned, but also very stressed. you got 70 students in a classroom, 50 students in a classroom, and you got to go through all of their presentations in two classes. What else are you supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Coach them for 10 minutes each? You don't have time. And this happens in every subject, math, sciences, language, on and on. That's why we're scared of public speaking. That's why we're afraid of it. So if we start to acknowledge that fear, we're actually taking the wrong approach. We have to realize that the fear isn't our fault. We have to go, hey, wait a second. The fear of public speaking has nothing to do with me. It was because the system forced me to perceive public speaking in a bad way. And the flip argument to that, April, is... Using the Julie example, why is it that Julie is an introvert, 16 years old, but happens to love theater? Because her perception of theater, her perception of public speaking in that environment is different. Well, Brenda, it's to share an idea. It's to share ideas that matters to make people laugh. It's to entertain people. And that's the punchline. To entertain people. In, in some way. Well, in that, in that situation. But, but the advice I have, essentially is after you've reflected on how the world would change if you were a great speaker, then ask yourself, what happens if you don't do it? If you are clear about the person that is suffering if you don't put the videos out. So for me, actually, let's go with most people. For most people, option A and option B look something like this. Option A is do the thing, post the video, do the podcast, have the conversation with April. Option B is watching Netflix. So obviously, right. most people, and eat those potato <laughs> things you were talking about. It was really good. Sweet I potatoes. <laughs> Sweet potato fries. Yeah, I need to try those too. But for me, the ultimatum. Option A is make the videos for Julia. Or option B, watch Julia suffer. Mm. And millions of people like her from around the world in Cambodia, in, you know, Germany, whatever, but not just for today, April, for the rest of eternity, because public speaking, communication will always stay the same. It's never going to change. So if I don't make videos, I'm not just hurting the millions of people today. I'm hurting the millions of people tomorrow. Mm. And that is unacceptable to me. That's why I'm so committed to the YouTube channel. Wow. 
It's good stuff. It's good stuff. I want to. I want to talk about how did you find your way into a a place where you found speaking to be fun before you had any training. Like, how did you fall into a club or or the case thing that you were talking about where you were competing? Like, did you find that through Toastmasters or your? Did your speech teacher make you do it, or how did you find it? Yeah, I'm happy to add more light to that. So what a case competition is, essentially, April, is a business gives you a problem. So let's say McDonald's comes up to us and says, you know, Brendan, you know, April, all these yogis, you know, they love health and all that stuff. They don't eat burgers anymore. What do we do? How do we get them back in our stores? This is called a business problem. How do you get people to eat salads now to go back to McD's and have a Big Mac or something? So what we need to do as a team is in three hours, we need to come up with a solution, make a financial statement, do a bunch of stuff, read a 20-page document, and with no internet, at the end of the three hours, we need to present our presentation, our solution, to the actual executives of the company. That is a case competition. It's pretty intense, right? So now the question that's probably on your mind is, why would anyone put themselves through this? You know, like football or cheerleading or something else. Uh, Just walking (laughs) sounds a lot more interesting. The reason is because much like how, how do I explain this? Much like how universities uh, are feeder schools to professional sports teams. You know, you have to go to like a professional, a big school and you can get drafted. Business school, that's the equivalent. Okay. So a lot of the people who who go on to work at these big companies, think about bankers on Wall Street or uh, management consultants, like all these big like business jobs. Most of those people are case competitors. They're people who did case. It's just, outside just, of my realm of experience because yeah. I studied music and art and I never had to totally do one fine. of these. <laughs> totally fine. You didn't miss out on much, trust me. But I enjoyed well, you it. You liked it. But, but I Exactly. So so what happened was I mostly just did case competitions to get a job. Okay. It wasn't really like, oh, I needed to, I love this. But when I started doing them, they became an obsession. Hmm. Like the first six months, I was like, ah, you know, I'm just doing this for my CV. Actually, no. The first six weeks, <laughs> it was, oh, yeah, I'm just doing this for the CV. But then two months into it, I was like, hey, we were putting a lot of effort for this. We better win this competition. And then we didn't win. And then I was frustrated and I was like, well, no, you're going to win next. And then it just, it, it just, it just spiraled. I did it for three years. I did 50 case competitions. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, uh, I was a maniacal about it. I loved it. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's how I learned it. But I think to answer your question though, it's this idea that I fell in love with public speaking. It was something that I was good at. It was something like uh, it was like a competition that was sports related, but not had nothing to do with sports. And it really came, it really uh, connected with my competitive spirit. So the advice I have for people, especially if you're struggling with public speaking, you're just getting started, find a topic that you believe you're really good at that solves a problem for somebody else and do that same presentation hundreds of times. This is what I call the repeatable presentation. Because the issue with most people, April, is they only present one presentation once and then they dump it, move on to the next one. Whereas let's say for you, if I made this a bit more of a coaching session, for you, the presentation is your own podcast. What does work from home mean? What are you trying to achieve with it? Who are you trying to inspire? When you start presenting that to a business commerce area, to a chamber of commerce in your air in, in Arizona, at the beginning, it's going to sound something like this. Uh, hey, guys, April here. You know, you know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but after. <then, laughs> But no, 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 hear me out though, because I know you can do this. But after you do this 25 times, you, then your presentation is going to sound something like this. Growing up in a family with 10 kids, I understood the importance of managing my time. <laughs> and there's so many people out there who don't know how to do that at home. Imagine this. this see, like that's what I'm saying. Like There's so much room there. <laughs> but, and you can totally do that after a couple of times. You have a good memory. <laughs> I showed Brendan a picture of my huge family right before we started. (laughs) (laughs) It was really nice. I mean, it's not something you can forget. It is pretty memorable. (laughs) Um, But I mentioned Toastmasters a few minutes ago, and I wanted to come back to that for a second. Um, I actually was when I I think I was at a speech class back when I was maybe in my undergrad. 
I had to, um, I think, visit a Toastmasters. I can't remember if I did it in high school or college, but I just sat in on one Toastmasters class. Might have even been 20 minutes. I don't think we even stayed for the whole thing. But I never went back again for 20 years. And uh, just last week, someone invited me uh, to join them for a virtual Toastmasters. I was like, so I don't exactly know what that would like look like or entail. And he sent me a video, and uh, it was talk- talking about the guy who counts all the odds, like the odd, co- the odd counter, odd counter, and then someone who's, um, I don't know, they have like five or eight different types of roles, and everyone's basically critiquing a different part of your speech, and then you get reviewed on that. And I'm like, that sounds terrifying to me. Um, I don't know if that's going to make me love speaking. <laughs> Can you speak to that? Absolutely. So my my overall recommendation for those who, who don't have time for the full story is I do recommend Toastmasters. And the reason I do is because it's very cost effective. It's like a hundred bucks a year and it gives you that community. And contrary to popular belief, Toastmasters is actually a very positive, supportive environment. I've I've been fortunate to, you know, have been a guest for maybe fifty or so clubs around the world wow. just because of COVID, so I don't have to fly. Oh no, it wasn't in person. Virtual. <laughs> yeah, virtual. So I, I've had the chance to speak at a couple of them. Every there isn't one club where I said, Oh, these people are really rude. No, these this is a great environment for you to learn to be positive. And yeah, sure, you'll get some negative feedback sometimes, but it's always it's always given with love. <laughs> So for those reasons, I do recommend overall. But the caveat I will add to it is that the issue with Toastmasters is if you want to be exceptional as a speaker. So this is great if you're getting started. So if you're someone who's just scared of public speaking, Mm -hmm. highly endorse Toastmasters. But the next level to that is understand that the best speakers never stay in Toastmasters. When you get really good at communication, well, you don't need Toastmasters, so you leave. So you will never always get the best evaluations. Mm. That's why my recommendation, that's why I love Toastmasters and working with them, is take my free videos, bring those tips into that club so that everyone has access to the best knowledge in the world. You know, the knowledge I share costs, what, like hundreds of dollars an hour, an hour these days. And all that's free now. And then make everyone in the club better so that you can all evaluate better for free. And then be a better club. That's that's the way I approach it. But overall, I recommend going. Absolutely. Wow. Brendan, I want to talk a little bit about some of the technical things that, you know, now that we're all virtual, how can we be better communicators in this technical world? I know you Absolutely. told me that you're into tech, that you have some good tech stuff. Um, like, where do you draw the line? Like what's necessary in, to be a good communicator and what is just extra um, an, a, a barrier to communication? Sometimes I think some people won't communicate until they feel like they have everything just right. Um, I don't feel like I have the best microphone and it kind of made me nervous about starting the podcast. I thought maybe I should wait and get a better one. And then I'm like, screw it. I just need to get started. I completely agree. I mean, my first... 50 videos, no, sorry, my first 25 videos and my first 50 videos, first 25 I did with my phone Mm -hmm. and the next 25 I did with the camera, but I was still in my mother's basement. Mm -hmm. It's only, it's only uh, six months ago, six or nine months ago that I transitioned to professional, right? So for the first year, I was pretty much doing everything in my basement. So yes, I completely agree. You're always better off starting with something. In terms of the gear itself, I wouldn't worry too much. Even today, I mean, this camera right now is my webcam. It's not a, anything fancy. It's this is a bit fancy because it just the audio just needs to sound good for the recording. But other than that, it's it's pretty basic. But the advice I have for online is to understand the following: the difference between the online world and the in-person one is that when I'm in person, when we're together, let's say I was in Arizona giving you a workshop or something. I can gauge how you're feeling in real time. So let's say I say a joke. Do things happen? April will either laugh at the joke and go, ha ha, Brennan, you're so funny. Or two, which is much more likely, you'll look at me and go, wow, this guy is <laughs> not funny. He should really not be saying jokes. I have no clue what's happening. But either way, I can adapt. I say, oh, April's right. I'm not funny. I got to adapt. I got to adjust. I don't have that luxury. 
in an online presentation, even in this very conversation we're having now, April, we're one-on-one. I have no clue how you're reacting to me. Why? Because I'm not looking at you. <laughs> I'm looking at the camera. I know. Lens. I know. It's hard. Right? <laughs> right? So imagine 20 little screens on a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to see how people are reacting? So the punchline is that the same joke that I told you in Arizona, with the same enthusiasm, the same positivity, the same love, I need to say with the same, all of that, and assume it's funny. And that is challenging. Yeah. How are you supposed to tell a joke when you don't know if people are laughing? Hmm. That's the challenge. Especially if everyone's muted. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in a webinar format, it's even worse because just like there is nobody. It's just you. You're speaking to nothing. Right. <laughs> can you even, can you see everyone? I haven't used the webinar format of like Zoom yet. I just have only been in like groups. Right. So, so in Zoom, you would be able to, but even then, you know, little screens. Right. But it's something like GoTo, like GoToWebinar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't see anybody? Oh, no. Oh, you don't see anybody. wow. I didn't realize that was yeah. that barren. Yeah. I know. You're yeah. right. It's like when you are in a, in a virtual meeting, haha, we're going to talk about it. In order to like look like you're paying attention to people, you end up not looking at them. So it's really a conundrum. Because if it you want to see Joe down there and Sally over here, your eyes are way far away. And they think that you're not paying attention. It's, it's complicated. Right. That's why to look at both of them directly, you have to always just keep looking at the lens. Yeah. Right. So, so the key is for that, let's do short tip and then harder tip. So easy tip, put a picture of somebody that you love right next to the lens or like your favorite, like for you is those sweet potato fries hey that aren't fried. Just put them right you there just put the, <laughs> tape it up. Just put them right there. Simple. That's easy. And then you'll get used to it. That's one part. The other part. Oh, go ahead. Oh, please. I was going to say, I actually usually just kind of like make the screen small so that the people are as close to the camera as possible. So I can still see you in, per- in my peripheral vision. I have you like that's that with me also. right now. I, I put you as close to this camera as I can. Ah, uh, that's smart. So I can't do that on my laptop sometimes, So, but I got to <laughs> figure that out. But yeah, sure, if you could do that, April's tip definitely holds. But in the situation where that's not possible, then just put a picture or something. Or do both. You never <laughs> just do both. right? But the other tip that's more important is two things. One is the perfect virtual room. So what you want to do, get a bunch of people on a Zoom call that that are very critical, that aren't very nice. <laughs> To critique everything. Oh, to no. be like, oh, Brady, when was the last time you got a haircut, Brendan? Why, why aren't you wearing a suit? What is this? Why you got a white background? They critique everything from the way that you speak to the way that you are. So that when the actual presentation happens, you're flawless. That's one. Two is imagine the perfect audience. So when I started podcasting, April, to your point earlier, off the record, we were talking yeah, I get it. You know, the first show I'm kind of sitting there wondering, why is a stranger asking me questions about my life? This is so bizarre. But then over time, what happens is the perception that we have of our audience changes. It goes from who's this April lady to wow, April is such a nice person. She's putting in so many hours, so much hard work to make this podcast available for people. And I, it's such an honor and a pleasure for me to be here. So when you go through that lens, I assume that I've known you for multiple years. Well, of course, April's great. She has like 10 brothers and sisters. Nine nine brothers and sisters. (laughs) Nine brothers and sisters, correct. I don't even know how to do math. (laughs) But but the point that I'm driving is the following. Now that I'm the intention that I bring to the conversation is completely different as if I already knew you. The way that I show up is also completely different. I'm not reserved at all. Pretty open, as you probably tell. Even if you have no clue who I am. Right? So that's the key. So the idea is at the beginning, you won't believe this, but over time, as you get more and more positive feedback, whether it's the podcast or the presentation or the video, because all it takes is one person who's watching your, your video to go, Hey, April, it's good. Over time, that belief that your audience is here to help you will eventually become true. That sounds really brutal to put yourself in a room full of people who are just there to critique you. But if they, if you all know that that's the purpose, I guess it wouldn't be as intimidating. Correct. I don't know if all of the people in my audience are going to be up for something like that, but it is a good place to start. At least for those of us, I I know there are a lot of people, like especially like female entrepreneurs who are just now, you know, trying to get their feet under them and start something. They have that mission or that message that they have to share and they know that their world would be better if they do it. 
but you have to get over those fears. So I appreciate some of these tips. You know, think of the best version of your audience. I love it. All right. Well, this is, this is good stuff. We, um, we're going to wrap up in just a minute, but I do want to ask you if, um, if you're looking at making this like your permanent, uh, work from home job, teaching, speaking and traveling a little bit and, and mostly doing the YouTube channel or what's your bigger plan? Long-term. Absolutely. You got your 10 year plan, but (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's definitely the goal, April. I think, I think for me, what I've learned is I, I'm in a very unique position in life. I got lucky that I developed and I figured out what my gifts were in the world. And I'm here to finish what Dale Carnegie couldn't. You know, <laughs> the, the unfortunate news of his story is we don't have a Dale Carnegie podcast. We don't have mm-hmm. a Dale Carnegie YouTube channel. And I got lucky that technology like this existed in, in the time period that I was alive. Mm-hmm. And I just so happened to go to the school that had all these cases. So I think the point is, is uh, I, I owe it to the world. And to uh, into my own contribution because I don't know how long I'm going to be alive to to share this important message with the world. So so yeah, the goal is definitely to go full time. Hopefully soon. All right. Well, good. I like this. Uh, do you have any final words that you'd like to share with our audience? Anything that would be especially helpful for people who are just getting started as far as working from home or embarking on maybe starting something like a YouTube channel? Absolutely. I I think there's a bunch of stuff I could tell you, but I think the big one is understand clearly what I mean by having an idea worth sharing. The way that I think about it is I think an idea worth sharing means that one, not a million, not a hundred thousand, one person finds it useful. And spoiler alert, Everyone listening right now and everyone in the world has something that one other person cares about, which means if you made it this far in the podcast, you're still listening. I encourage you to share that idea with the world. I don't care if it's a recipe for cupcakes. I don't care if it's a YouTube channel. I don't care if it's a podcast. It could be tissue papers as long as you believe that the idea adds value to one other person, you have the duty and responsibility to share it. And I hope that my videos can be the bridge so that you can share those ideas with the world. So best of luck. Tell us where people can find you and your videos. Absolutely. So if you want to check those out, that's Master Talk in one word on YouTube. And if you want to send me a message directly, I'm very accessible. I answer all my DMs. So you can master you can message me at Master Your Talk on Instagram. Master Your Talk. All right. Thank you so much, Brendan, for joining me tonight at this late, late hour. I appreciate you so much. And I will try to start to put some of these tips to practice. I'll check out your website and so will everyone else. All right. This is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home with Brendan with Master Talk. Thank you so much.